welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the SDR broadcast <laughs> on this fifth day of June 2013. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and today we have uh, T-Bird with us. She's the owner of that website, our sponsor, and uh, our technician, uh, Stretch, out of Arkansas there. And today our guest speaker will be uh, Bill Dahlkamp. He is the executive director of Support Dogs. And uh, these are dogs specially trained to uh, work with and uh, uh, help out uh, PTSD veterans. Uh, Bill, how are you doing today? I'm great. I am great, and I want to thank you all for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, and uh, uh, my land, we we hope we can get you back on too again sometime. Would you? Oh, anytime. Would you uh, kind of give us a history of the uh, support dog program and and how it it all come about? Yeah, um, support dogs actually was founded back in the early 80s, and it actually started in Columbus, Ohio. Um, a woman by the name of Sandy Mays, um, she was suffering from uh, muscular dystrophy, and um, she had a dog and was thinking, you know, if it was possible to train this dog to do tasks for her that she couldn't do herself, um, you know, really up until that time in the early 80s, the really only service dog people heard about were guide dogs, um, you know, for the blind. And um, so this was kind of a cutting-edge idea, um, something that really many organizations or very few organizations had even tried. Um, but, but Sandy, um, and she had her German Shepherd, his name was Stormy, and um, she hired a trainer, and lo and behold, she was able to do what she wanted to do, was to train him to help her with a lot of mobility-related tasks, you know, picking stuff she would drop on the floor, opening doors, carrying items, things of that nature. Um, and because it was such a novel idea at that time, um, she wanted to get the word out that this could be done. Um, and her mother, um, her mother's name was Marvel, so uh, Sandy and Marvel began promoting it in every which way they could and touring the country, going on radio shows. You know, at that time there were no podcasts, so they had to physically go and, and be interviewed on radio shows and things of that nature. Um, but they were here in St. Louis, and a group heard um, this story and thought that, um, what a great idea. We'd like to start a chapter, if you will, um, here in St. Louis. And so that's what happened. And at the time, um, it was called Support Dogs for the Handicap. And so they opened um, a chapter here in St. Louis um, and started doing that work of raising and training service dogs, you know, to help those that were physically disabled. And then as time went on, uh, the Ohio based chapter was actually absorbed by another organization and so support dogs for the handicap was located and based in St. Louis, Missouri. 
Um, since then, we've changed our name. We've shortened it just to support Dogs Incorporated. And, um, you know, we were founded here in 1983, so uh, this year is actually our 30th anniversary here in St. Louis, uh, which we're very excited about. Um, but we've grown, um, grown a lot. Uh, what we have found is um, as the disability community has changed and the needs of the disability community have changed, requests for the organization uh, for different types of dogs um, were, were brought upon support dogs. And so the organization tried to meet those the best way they could. Now, we still do service dogs for people that are um, physically disabled. And as I mentioned, they pick up stuff you drop on the floor. Um, you open doors. They can carry bags. Um, some can pull wheelchairs for those that are in manual wheelchairs. Uh, help you take off your clothes, your shoes, your socks, eyeglasses, uh, pants, things of that nature, anything mobility related. Uh, but we've expanded our services to include hearing dogs for people that are deaf or hard of hearing. Those dogs alert to sounds in the person's environment. So if somebody knocks on the door or a doorbell rings or somebody calls a person's name, that dog will go up to the person give them a signal, and um, <clears throat> take them to the sound. And then our most recent endeavor in the assistance dog field is um, dogs called psychiatric service dogs. And those are for people, uh, specifically military veterans and first responders with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, we were being asked by a lot of veterans, veteran organizations, working some with the uh, VA um, about this. It was kind of cutting edge at the time back in 2009 that a lot of veterans were coming back from Iraq and some, I think, from Afghanistan, mostly it was Iraq, that were being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and they were finding that dogs could be placed with them to give them a sense of confidence, act as a second set of eyes, um, and really re assimilate the veteran back into civilian life, um, to that life that they might have lost, quote unquote, uh, before going into the service. And so we started exploring and doing research with that. And we decided that it would probably be a wise thing for us to do, number one, that there was a need, but number two, that we could actually train these dogs to do what we needed them to do. And so we launched the program and uh, so in 2010, we placed our first psychiatric service dog with a military veteran. And um, since then, we've been going like gangbusters. Um, we have been forming partnerships, if you will, or collaborations with a lot of veteran-related organizations. We work uh, with the Mission Continues, with the Wounded Warrior Project. We work with uh, several VFWs, American Legions, Ladies Auxiliaries of the VA, really trying to let people know that this service is out there. And I do want to make sure that everybody listening knows that even though that we are in St. Louis, Missouri, we do serve clients on a national basis, or on a national level. So you don't have to live in St. Louis to qualify for one of these dogs. Um, another nice thing is that we place all of our dogs at no cost. Um, we don't require people to pay for them. Um, we have programs set up, and because of our funding structure, 
uh, we're able to place our dogs with all of our clients at no cost. And um, the dogs can be kind of expensive um, depending on which organization you look at. Um, ours run between fifteen and sixteen thousand dollars each to raise and train. Um, but like I said, because of the funding and the way that we're set up, um, it's our pleasure to be able to produce them and place them at no cost to the clients. Um, we just ask that there is an application fee and an equipment fee that uh, the client would be responsible. And what we found is that um, some organizations, uh, specifically Ladies Auxiliary and the VFW, such you know what, let's take care of that too. And so we have what we call a David Fund, which is an acronym for Disabled American Veteran Independence Dog Fund. And so that actually covers the cost of the application fee and the equipment fee so that if a military veteran applies for a dog, whether it's a psychiatric service dog for PTSD, a service dog for mobility-related, or a hearing dog, um, everything is taken care of so they don't have to pay for that. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how we have evolved in regards to our assistance dogs um, over time. Um, but I'd like to know, you know, does anybody have any questions that I can answer at this time about support dogs, our services, who we serve, um, how people qualify, anything? Gerald, uh, uh, I, 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 if I could, I'd just like to say that I got my PTSD service dogs through support dogs. And uh, I waited, uh, the waiting list is two years because there are more people that need dogs, and there are dogs available. And I have had her since February of this year, 2013, and she has made a transformational difference in my life. Uh, and the support dog organization has made a huge difference. Uh, if the VA... <laughs> Uh, behaves in the way the staff at Support Dogs does, uh, many of our veterans, including me, would be a lot better. Wonderful. They have uh, some of the greatest volunteers. Uh, every day for that two-week training, they have a volunteer that comes in and provides free lunch to all the class. And not only do they provide free lunch, but they come in and they talk to you and they and they are really interested in how that dog affects your life and what it means to you and your service. And you feel very honored to just be part of it. And so I, I just wanted to add that about my own experience. And Tinder and I are still going strong, yeah. Doing good. Very nice to uh, to hear. Very nice of you to say. And that's what we like to hear. Um, you know, you bring up a, a several good points that, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of expand a little bit more on. Um, Please do. You, know, you said you um, waited for two years, and I know that I think one of the things that we're seeing, not only with support dogs, but in the industry as a whole, is that as these type of dogs become more popular, that more and more people apply and the waiting list becomes longer and longer. You know, you said you waited for two years, and, and trust me, we think that two years is two years too long. 
to be quite honest, we would like to have a turnaround time, you know, of no longer than six months. Um, and so with the organization kind of experiencing a unprecedented um, growth in regards to ask from not only veterans, but just from the civilian population for all of our dogs, um, the organization decided to embark on a capital campaign. Um, right now we are in leased space and we're really confined by space. Um, you know, we place anywhere between 17 and 20 dogs a year, which actually in the industry um, we would be considered a medium to large size organization. But our waiting list, um, as you mentioned, Teresa, um, goes really right now into 2015, almost into 2016 right now with, yeah. with people waiting for dogs. Um, and, the, and the reason is that, you know, because of our location and the way that our program is set up, um, just briefly, you know, the dogs come in as puppies, and we use Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers. Um, and they go into volunteer homes that raise them for the first part of their training, or we have a prison program over in Illinois at one of the federal institutions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but when they're done with that first part of training, they come back here to support dogs, and then our training staff polishes, polishes them up and gets them ready for um, our clients. Um, but because we have limited space here at the facility, we can only take in so many dogs. And it's kind of like a, a clog in the pipe, if you will. Um, you know, if we could bring in more dogs, we could certainly turn them around and serve more people. So what we've decided to do is to do a capital campaign um, to construct our own facility um, that will not only allow us to house more dogs, but conversely, place more dogs a year, and our goal is to move from 17 to 20 dogs each year um, up to 50 placements each year. Um, wow, that's that, great. Yeah, it would be wonderful, um, and then that way, not only would it allow us to serve more people, um, but it would allow the people that are applying not having to wait like you did for two years. You know, they could wait just a matter of months as opposed to a matter of years. Um, so that's what we're doing right now, and we're kind of right in the middle of the campaign. We purchased land, um, we're actually right down the road from our facility, but um, this facility obviously will be ours. We will own it, and it will really be conducive to um, what we need to do um, in regards to not only our assistance dog program, but we also have a therapy dog program. We offer obedience for the general public, education. It'll be a, a one-stop shop. <laughs> if you will, for support dogs and, and utilization of all of our services. Um, and so, um, you know, I want to throw that out there that hopefully you know, we, we plan to break ground this summer um, and have the completion of this facility done by the summer of next year. Um, and then that will allow us then to start procuring more dogs, bringing more dogs in, and expanding the program. Um, but I think you bring up an excellent point, too, that um, volunteers with the organization really are our lifeblood. Um, we have some of the most dedicated uh, volunteers I've ever, ever seen. I've been with the organization for 15 years, um, and I started out <clears throat> doing volunteer coordination um, and then everything in between, and I've been the executive director now. This is my fourth year. 
Um, and a lot of the volunteers that we have with us today were with us, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and beyond. Uh, there really is a dedication, and I think that that is so important um, for an organization because not only do the volunteers believe in the mission of the organization, but they believe in what we do. And Teresa, like you mentioned, you know, they get the opportunity to come in and meet the clients. And for them, you know, as special as that was for you, it's even more special for them uh, because they get to see what they do. You know, they get to see who they get to help. Um, and it really is um, a family atmosphere, if you will. Yes, it um, is. I yeah. Appreciate, mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate the fact that, you know, you said that everybody's professional and um, that you can call us at any time, and any of our clients can. And we want that. You know, we know all of our clients by name. Um, you know, we're one of those organizations that when we place a dog with somebody, we don't say, there you go, have a great life, don't call us and we won't call you. We like to keep track. You know, we do recertifications every year. If a client has an issue, uh, we want them to call us. Um, we know that, you know, these are just dogs and dogs will be dogs sometimes. And sometimes habits are um, developed either by the dog or, you know, the client might um, you use the word break the dog, and I don't think you can really break any of these dogs, but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, some mismanagement, you know, and bad habits happen, and, you know, so we're always there to fix them. You know, we are, one of our our credos or one of our trains of thought is that, you know, people come to us to apply for an assistance dog to improve their quality of life in whatever way, shape, or form that may be. When we place the dog with the client, we don't want that dog to be a hindrance and add to their difficulties. We want it to be a positive and to help them overcome some. Um, I think the main goal for everybody is independence or a greater sense of independence. And I know I've heard stories from you, Teresa, about what Cinder has allowed you to do that you couldn't do before. Um, and you hear that from not only our, our clients that have uh, PTSD, that also have physical disabilities. Um, the dogs really provide a functionality for the clients that the dogs were, are able to do things for them that the client might not be able to do themselves. But I think more importantly, too, uh, the dogs provide a sense of self-esteem and a, and, and a can-do attitude. Um, I know that with all of our clients, if you take all of our clients, and right now we've probably got about 95 clients that have dogs in various capacities. Um, and of those 95, about 40% um, were able-bodied or had a quote-unquote normal life until something happened, whether it was an accident, an incident, or something that put them in the situation that they're in now. And what we find is that uh, for those clients in particular, um, self-esteem and confidence um, are major considerations. Um, sometimes uh, they don't go out because they don't want to have to rely on the general public for help because they used to be part of that general public that could provide that help. Um, they might be disabled physically and they don't want to have the general public looking at them in a certain way, whereas you know before that wouldn't have happened. Um, so by getting the dog, the dog allows them to go out because they don't have to rely on the public. They can rely on the dog. 
but also, and I think, you know, you can attest to this, Teresa, that our dogs are gorgeous. I think they're just the most beautiful oh, dogs hey, that they, they have. Um, and the, the topic of conversation, you know, when people go out, it's not so much, it's not the person with the disability, it's what a gorgeous dog. It becomes very positive, and it's, it's a nice bridge for people. So not only does the dog help them overcome and, and, and mitigate their disability, but it also becomes a topic of good conversation. And I think that's very important for all of our clients because, you know, in the 15 years I've been here, I've seen a lot of progress in regards to people with disabilities, um, how people are treated, how people are handled, accessibility, things of that nature. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And, you know, we hear stories, and I, and I will use uh, clients that have PTSD, for example, that, um, sure. you know, as I mentioned before, that, you know, because of their disability, and either it's a direct result of or it's a reasoning because of, they don't go out. They quit being productive members. They might want to do and go out, you know, just going to the grocery store. Um, going for a walk around the block, going to the mall. Um, but they don't because they feel, like I said, self-conscious. They feel less than adequate. Um, their disability prevents them from a socio-psychological um, level. Um, there's a number of reasons, you know, and what we find is that these dogs, once the person gets them, it really is a sense of independence. And we have a soft model here at Support Dogs. We say that we, our dogs, open doors to independence. And our dogs literally and figuratively do that. They really do open doors, you know, from a physical level. True. Yeah, but at a, at a psychological level, they open, you know, doors. And, you know, for somebody with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I think um, you are our third. We just placed our fourth client with PTSD. Um, and it's a new lease on life. They can kind of get back to that life that they used to have before and do things that they didn't and weren't able to do before. Um, there's a sense of confidence, um, a sense of self-esteem, a sense of self-worth. Um, you know, and one of the things we um, found, too, is uh, when we started this program for veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, we thought, you know, everything's going to be different. Each person's going to be different. Each case is going to be different. Um, and we're going to have to do this case by case. But on the contrary, we have found that all of the cases really seem to be the same. Um, right now, too, we have probably four or five applicants that have PTSD that are waiting for dogs. Um, and it goes really hand in hand that the majority, if not all, that suffer from PTSD also suffer from a traumatic brain injury of some sort. Um, they're recluses in their home. They have the, the, the lack of confidence to go out in public. Um, so that helps us then be able to train the dogs um, to what the person needs. You know, when a person applies, we get, you know, information on paper. They fill out the application. We get references. We get physicians, questionnaires. Uh, but I think one of the most important things we do is the interview. Um, we sit down and we actually talk with the client. And if the client doesn't live here, we ask them to submit a video and some additional information. We want to know as much about the client as we possibly can so that we can make an educated placement. 
um, that we make sure that the dog is placed with them to do exactly what they need the dog to do um, and that we're all on the same page. I tell all of our applicants, you know, don't put down what you think we want to hear. We want to hear what you need. You know, there, there, there's no wrong answers. Um, because, you know, this is a lifelong commitment, essentially, with the dog. You're going to be with this dog for eight, nine, ten years. And, you know, that's right. a good chunk of time. And we want to make sure, as I mentioned previously, that this dog is going to be a benefit and not a hindrance. And so for all of our clients, um, even in the application process, we try to get as much information as we need. And when it comes time, um, you alluded to coming to uh, support dogs for two weeks. We do a two-week training. And what we do in that training is um, we, first of all, we kind of joke and say, well, the dogs know what they need to do. It's time to train the people. And that's really what the, what the training is for. Um, and so we teach the people on dogs in general because people that get service dogs, some of them have never owned just a pet dog before. So they really don't know a lot about dogs. And so we have to teach them about dogs. We teach them about assistance dogs. We teach them about the dog that's going to help them with their disability. Um, and then, as you mentioned, we, we take them out. We go to malls. We go to grocery stores. We go to situations out in public where people will use this dog so that the person and the dog feel comfortable working together out in public and that um, you kind of get used to that relationship. Because it's a working relationship, you guys are a team. Um, every client that gets a dog, we don't look at it as just a client, just a dog. It's a team. Um, each relies on the other to do what they need to do. Um, and then as time goes on, uh, the bond just gets stronger and stronger. And as I mentioned before, you know, we keep track of everybody and make sure that things are going the way that they need to go. Um, and it's really kind of nice from an organizational standpoint that um, we get to hear all these great stories of things that we didn't train the dog to do, um, but the dogs do these things because they're pleasers. And I think you'll agree, Cinder is probably a great pleaser for you, wants to do right and wants to get praise. And um, so they, they find that um, that they, we train, you know, to a certain level, but the dogs go beyond that once they're placed. Uh, one of the things I like to tell people is that dogs are creatures of habit. You know, dogs like routine. Usually people with a disability, their life is very routine. Um, so it's a great match. And these dogs watch and they learn and they, they want to be praised. That's one of the reasons why we use Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers. Uh, they feed off that, that human interaction. And so they're going to do things that they think they want their person, wants them to do, so they get praised. Um, and it just really is it's a great relationship that continues to blossom over time. It really is. And if I could just interject um, some of my own personal experiences, uh, and because I have PTSD, major depression, and agoraphobia, and probably more stuff I don't even remember. And uh, so just even sitting out in my backyard had become just, I couldn't even do that. I mean, I do the website, and that's pretty much it. But now I sit out in the backyard, I play ball with the dog, 
and I'm more confident. And I'll tell you something. On that outing, we went to a grocery store, and we had to walk through the meat department with our dog. <laughs> and when I took Cinder through there, and she just paid attention to me and passed all that raw meat up, I felt so empowered. <laughs> you know, I gave advice to her to sit. She said, stand, she said. I mean, you know, that's an empowerment. It's almost, <clears throat> the two-week training is almost like boot camp. Uh-huh. Uh, they, uh, they, you know, you go one way, you do it one way, then you turn around, you do it another way, and you just do it and do it until you get it right. And then you feel very empowered that this dog is taking your command and looking to you to do things. Uh, at, now, I don't generally go out or do anything, but in March, support dogs uh, had a fundraiser at the Hyatt downtown here, and uh, uh, they asked me if I could uh, speak for a few minutes, and uh, how, how big was that crowd, Bill? Um, it was about, I'd say about 320, 330 people. So 320, 330 people, and I got up on stage and spoke for like five or six minutes with Cinder, which if you, I mean, I know that the veterans out there with PTSD can imagine how unnerving that is, but I just had Cinder next to me, and I focused on her and focused on how important it was for me to get through to the volunteers and <clears throat> the people who would donate, what a huge difference this has made. And I was very honored that Support Dogs asked me to do it. And I was very, very shocked that I just didn't like panic and run, but I didn't. After I gave my little talk, I had tons of people come up to me, and I think the most uh, touching to me of all the people that came up to me were a couple uh, that wanted to know if they could take a picture of me and Cinder. And so I said, you know, of course. And they said their daughter had been in the Navy and she was having a lot of trouble. Uh, and they thought if they showed her a picture of me and told her about my speech, it might encourage her and help her. And as everybody knows from the website, uh, I'm all about not leaving anybody behind and helping the next veteran. And so that, for me, was a very emotional moment. And there have been so many. So, <coughs> sorry. And so, you know, Cinder and I just lead our life. We're just like two peas in a pod. Uh, what Bill was saying about, you know, things that they don't train the dogs to do that the dogs just seem to know has become really evident. I took her in to see my therapist, and I put her in a down, so she lays down next to me, and I'm in my first session with the dog with me, and Cinder's laying there, and I'm talking to my therapist, and at some point I've, I've gotten really emotional, and I put my head in my hands and I had my head hanging down between my legs and Cinder got up from her down and 
came, like, put her head right underneath my head and then just kept lifting my head up till I lifted it up. My therapist was like, do they train them to do that? I'm like, I don't know that. I don't, you know. So now I pay attention to her because sometimes when I'm disconnected or uh, really having a lot of anxiety, you know, she lets me know before I even know what's going on. She comes up to me. She'll do a visit where she puts her head on my leg or, and this is really weird. The thing I notice is sometimes when I start to zone out, which happens, uh, she will come up and give me something to do. Like she'll bring her bone to me and I will take it and then I'll give it back to her and then she'll walk away and then she comes back. And then we'll do that three or four times. Sometimes she'll walk around the room and check to make sure I'm looking at her. And then I think after she thinks I'm all together again, she just takes her bone and goes and lays down. And that to me is just an amazing thing. I mean, it's amazing. So I just wanted to add that information in there. Uh, also, I wanted to talk about uh, the fundraising that you're doing for your new facility. Now, Support Dogs website is supportdogs.org, and you can go to that website, read a lot more. There's applications there. Um, there's FAQs. Uh, there are pictures and videos, and they also have a site on uh, gofundme.com, which I'm sure is available. A link to that is probably available on their homepage. Uh, where they're trying to raise money to fund the new uh, facility Bill was talking about. And I would just like to say, on occasionally, uh, a veteran wins their claim, and uh, they would like to give a donation to Habit.com. Well, we don't, Habit.com doesn't take donations. We don't, we fund it out of my pocket. And uh, so if anybody wants to make a donation to Hannah.com, uh, I would ask them to make a donation to support dogs in Hannah.com's thing. And you can earmark it to veterans if you want to. Uh, Bill talked about the David Fund that helped me. Uh, the particular harness I needed was quite expensive. And uh, went to Bill and... All I had to do was say that I needed help with that, and it was all taken care of. Not like the VA. <laughs> you had to fill out 10 forms and talk to three different people who all don't really can't give you a yes or no answer. So really just an incredible organization, and I just wanted to put that out there. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And, you know, we do obviously take donations. That's how we're able to do what we do. You know, we do grants. We do fundraisers. Um, but like I said, you know, we, we provide all of our services at no cost. And, you know, in addition to the day-to-day -day operations, it's really important that, you know, we do continue to raise money for this new facility. And we have some incentives. If anybody does want to make a donation, they can go to our website. Um, or they can call us, and our phone number is area code 314-997-2325. Um, we can send them literature. Um, if anybody has been um, or ever participated in a campaign before, 
We have naming opportunities for somebody that might want to make a sizable donation to get their name on something or if a group wants to get together uh, to make a donation and leave their name um, on something, they can certainly do that. Um, but I think with everything that we do, it's a community effort. You know, um, we're looking at doing this facility, and it's it's not for support dogs. It's for the people of support dogs. Um, we're kind of, um, I don't want to say a clearinghouse, but we're kind of the mediator and, and kind of the vehicle that allows people to do what we do. Um, we allow clients to gain a better sense of independence and, um, I know that, you know, at a time where a lot of veterans are coming back now, um, and I'm glad that there is a name put with post-traumatic stress disorder. I think before, uh, from it's my understanding, you know, people used to have what they called flashbacks, and that was essentially PTSD, but they really didn't have a name for it at the time. Um, but, you know, people want to help. We want to help. You know, our volunteers want to help. And so by, you know, making a donation to help us construct this new facility, um, we can get that done and just help more people in our community and, and do it at no cost. And I think that's very important. Uh, with veterans, you know, our veterans have given so much, we don't want to have them pay for this. Um, it's something that we can do for them. And um, as I mentioned, it gives them a, a, their life back. Um, to a point. It gives them a sense of independence. Um, really, I think it does different things for different people and, you know, we're just happy to do that and, um, and, and, I find and so it that's somewhat kind of, empowering. I would say empowering. It, it, it empowers you. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, you say empowering. Um, I've heard that from a couple of our clients before. Um, one of the things that um, kind of to go on with what you said about what happened, you know, at your therapist with the dog, um, right. we, tr we, we don't train the dogs to do certain things, but they kind of just do. Um, dogs are very intuitive. I say dogs know people better than people know people. Um, dogs are very instinctual, and so they kind of know. Uh, we just placed a dog with our most recent veteran, um, like I said, two weeks ago. And it was very interesting to watch because he was in a chair. He had he, His dog was kind of like yours. Um, you know, the veteran had post-traumatic stress disorder, but he also had some balance and some uh, mobility issues. Um, he was more confined, though, to a chair. He wasn't as mobile as you were. Mm -hmm. um, so when he was in the chair and when they would come to a stop, this dog every single time would lay his head on this man's foot. And that's oh. where the head would stay. It was almost like grounding him there knowing that that dog, he could feel that dog on his foot every single time. The first time we did this, um, I know that nightmares um, are a big thing. Uh, one of the things we, we find when we talk with clients is um, that they usually don't get a good night's sleep because they dream, obviously, about what has happened or they dream about other things and there are nightmares. Um, but with a couple of the dogs, um, they obviously sleep in bed with the clients and 
when they have their nightmares, the dog actually wakes them up by licking their face, you know, and, and gets them up. And um, we don't train the dogs to do that. It's just something that the dogs do. And so I think it's very interesting and fascinating that these dogs have an instinct about them that they know if a person is compromised in some way. And we even see that with ourselves, you know, with our own personal pets. If you're not mm-hmm. feeling good or if you feel sick, the dog kind of knows that, you know, and they act a little different. Um, and so um, I think, you know, going back to what I had said before about the routine and just about being with this dog um, all the time, the dog learns the ins and outs of you. You learn the ins and outs of the dog. Um, but I think they do things that provide a comfort to the person. Um, that that like, is you true, know, you know. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you say it's empowering, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, that, that that's a strong word, and it's a great word to use, um, that it is empowering. I, you know, I've heard other clients say it's motivating. Um, it makes them do things they probably wouldn't normally do. It challenges Amen to them. that, brother. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it challenges them. You know, we have the, our, the first guy that received the dog, our first veteran received our first PTSD dog. He was one um, that um, he never went out, never went out. Um, and when he did, it was late at night at the off times, um, and he would go with his wife. And it was interesting because... Um, his wife would be his second set of eyes. She didn't know that at all, but, you know, he would use for that. She would look around the corners first, and she would look through doorways first. Uh, that's one of the things I should probably say, too, is that with these dogs, uh, for PTSD, what they do for people. Um, you know, it's a companion, but they also do have skills, and, and uh, we teach the dogs to look around corners. They go and kind of go ahead and look around corners, Um and will, by their body language, let the client know if somebody's there, or they look through doors, and they let somebody know if somebody's there. Uh, We teach them to sit facing behind the client, so that if somebody comes up behind the client, they will know based on the body language. We have them sit in front of them and create a bubble, so if you're in a crowded situation, uh, that the dog will kind of keep people at bay to an extent. Um, so there are some tasks that we do train these dogs to do. But one of the interesting things uh, with this young man was that um, he said he still didn't want to go out necessarily, but he had to go out because the dog needed to go out. And so it yes, got him that's where out. I find myself too, yeah. Mm-hmm. It got him up. And it got him out, and then for for me and for us here at Support Dogs, that's a beautiful thing to hear because you're putting the needs of the dog before the needs of yourself. But at the same time, that dog is challenging you to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. And I think that in time, um, that, that um, you know, kind of makes it easier to an extent, um, or makes it not as difficult to do. Um, I was talking to this young man. Um, he was actually in, you know, like I said, where we have open doors and 
it's great clients come back. It's kind of like family reunion time, you <laughs> know, when people come back yeah. for talks. It's great to see them. Um, but he was he came in. He just stopped in just to say hello, and uh, we were talking. And he says, you know what? He goes, this dog is, and he goes, he said, you know, this dog is the best friend I have in the whole world. Um, and one thing that I think is is appropriate to say, and probably um, is applicable to say is that for him he and forgive me if I get the terminology wrong but he was in special forces or special ops Um, Mm -hmm. he was a sniper he was a sniper in Iraq and um, he said he saw things that and did things that most people would just you know be taken aback with but what he says is that he can't talk because a lot of the stuff he did is classified. So he can't talk with anybody about what he did, but he can talk to his dog. He can talk to the dog and just use the dog as a therapist because the dog's not going to tell anybody. And he says that has been so therapeutic for him because it allows him to say it and allows him to get it off his chest and that dog just sits there and listens, and that dog obviously is not going to judge him for what he's done, um, no matter how he feels about it. And he said that has been a great therapy for him as well, is that, you know, this dog is just as much a part of him as he is himself, because that dog, he can count on that dog for everything, anything and everything. And I think that was... A statement that, you know, again, that, you know, we learn from each of our clients what these dogs do. We do it, you know, like I said, we we teach to a certain point. uh, But the things that the clients utilize these dogs for in their own therapy, in their own recovery, in their own existence, um, are stuff that we wouldn't even think about. And when he said that, I'm like, you know what, that makes perfect sense. Because who doesn't talk to their dog, you know? If it's just a pet, you talk to your dog, and it makes you feel better. It makes you feel not lonely. Um, You know, I'll I'll just say my mother, I mean, my mother being a mother, you know, I live alone. I'm not married, no kids. And she says, don't you ever get lonely? And I said, no, because I have a dog. I don't live alone. You know, I have my dog. You know, and I talked to her, and I said, if you look at my windows, you probably think I'm crazy because it looks like I'm talking to myself. But, you know, I'm talking to the dog. You know, so it's therapy for me, but I can't imagine somebody that's been through an experience or experiences that has been so horrific that would prevent them from doing something when they're finished with it, but then having a dog that is there to understand um, if you're physically disabled, the dog doesn't care, you know, if you're missing a limb or if you have a deformity because of a disability, who cares? That dog loves you unconditionally, and they accept you unconditionally. And I think for a person that has that, that is an empowerment piece because they know that in a world that is very judgmental, in a world that is very not set up for people with disabilities, um, these dogs help access that you know, for the people, and I think that's a wonderful thing too. That is absolutely true, and, you know, I've had the experience of Cinder waking me up from a nightmare, and 
I was just in this nightmare, and then I had a wet, cold nose on my face. And I woke up, and I patted her, and she fussed over me for a minute or so, and then she laid back down, and I just put my hand on her, and I could feel her calm, steady breathing, and that helped me do my breathing, and I just fell right back to sleep, which was just, I mean, it was an incredible thing. It was, it's, you know, it, it Stretch, our uh, tech support person, said to me, he goes, oh, you know, Labradors are, they're like, uh, what did he say? He said they're like almost sacred, you know, in their love and their bond with you. And I can really see that. Now, when I went to that two weeks of training, uh, started on a Monday, on Wednesday, we were able to bring our dogs home. So on Wednesday, I brought Cinder home, and uh, every night, I would just sit in bed with her, and I just started to tell her the story of my life. And, uh, and, and you know, I know it sounds silly, but oh my God, what? What just an outpouring of emotion and relief, and it didn't matter what I said, you know. And she just listened and listened and listened, and sometimes she'd nudge me and lick me, and and so now every few days I just tell her more stories from my life, or I go over things that were you know, really bad for me, and, you know, I don't want to tell anybody else, you know, and nobody else wants to hear it, because there are some things that are just horrifying, and when you tell someone those things, and you see the reaction in their eyes to you, you know, it's not therapeutic. But Cinder's reactions are always the same. She just has these warm, beautiful, brown, amber-like eyes that uh, you can actually, well, I can actually see the love. And I know other people can because my nieces and nephews and my sister have all commented on how much this dog loves me. And... Uh, Oh, she's cut down on my Xanax, too. Good. So now I've gotten in the habit of when I'm starting to feel a little anxiety, the first thing I do is I go over and I start to pet Cinder. And I just pet her. And then, and usually, usually with that in my breathing, I can get my panic to subside and go away. And if I have to take advantage, she's all up for a cozy and a cuddle and a nap. So it's all good. Good. Very good. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Well, it looks like we're about running out of time. Uh, Gerald, John, Stretch, D. I'm sorry to monopolize. I just wanted to tell you my own personal experience. Do you guys have anything you want to ask, Bill, before we have to close out here? 
Well, yes, I have a question, Teresa. Uh, now, you know, on your CNI dogs, they're allowed in in about any public facility. Uh, do you have special papers for these dogs that uh, uh, you know someone can't come up and say, "Look, uh, you're not blind. Uh, this is not a CNI dog, so we don't let them in in these facilities." Yeah, we provide, we provide, there's no national mandate, there's no federal mandate that says you have to have those papers um, or any kind of identification, but what we do is we provide identification tags um, and uh, we can do a certification letter also. Um, anybody that gets a dog, whether it's for physical disabilities, hearing, um, or PTSD, those dogs are allowed in all places of public accommodation, so you can go to grocery stores, to the malls, to the movies, um, any place that the general public is allowed. Um, our dogs have ID tags. They usually have some kind of harness um, that they wear too. Um, so it does show that if anybody does question that they are a certified working dog. Um, and that usually, that usually is enough. Um, most of our clients don't have an issue. Every once in a while they might, um, but it's a matter of education and then the office um, we can contact that place of business and then we can let them know about that. Um, so we try to, you know, make it as easy for the client as possible to take this dog out and use it in public. Uh, what about pet care? Uh, you know, uh, it's to keep a dog well-groomed and, and uh, 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 all the shots up to date and all this and that can can get uh, quite expensive. Is there any help that goes along with that? Well, we don't provide that. That's one of the things, one of our stipulations is that um, that the person is able to provide that um, for the dog. And really when we place the dog, it's just maintenance shots. So it's really not all that expensive. Um, and I know Teresa and I were talking pre, you know, before we went on, uh, went on live that uh, the VA does have a program for those um, clients that do have physical disabilities that has the dog to help out. Uh, or blind, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, that can cover some, yeah, it covers some aftercare costs. Yeah, and I'm right. not now, familiar if, with yeah. them. Right. Uh, uh, if is blind or uh, profoundly deaf or has a physical issue, and not all physical issues. Like, Cinder works as a balanced dog for me, but the VA would not cover veterinary care for Cinder because uh, what she does for me in balance, they say can be done with a cane or a walker. And right now they do not cover psychiatric service dogs. Uh, but if you ha are physically disabled, blind or deaf, in a wheelchair, you know, those kinds of things, then you the VA to pay for veterinary care and equipment like a harness or a backpack 
and they'll pay for prescription medicines, office visit for medical procedures, uh, dental procedures even uh, with one dental procedure covered annually. And uh, But just a word about maintaining the dog. Uh, Rob's, uh, well, because the only other dog I've ever had is a pug. So really different. <laughs> Yeah. Labs are, are you know, there's not a whole lot of maintenance. I mean, I uh, I do her flea and chick control once a month, which you got to pay for, and, you know, buy her food. And, you know, every day I uh, brush her for a couple of minutes. She's good to go once a week. I clean her ears. I brush her teeth twice a week. I dremel her nail. And... Until her shots are due again, or God forbid, you know, she gets a cut or something, uh, it's it's really, you know, it's a lot cheaper than my pug was, and uh, and they're very, very, you know, they're very sturdy, strong, athletic dogs. So I, you know, it, it I don't, you know. So, I mean, I just don't want people to be scared away thinking, oh, my God, there's going to be so much extra expense for a dog uh, if the VA won't pay for veterinary costs. And also now there's uh, pet insurance. They have premium every month and they pay so much and it's available on the Internet. I'm sure you can do a Google search. Or you can check with your local vet. They often know of insurance companies that they work with. And uh, so, you know, if you think that you might qualify for that, call the VA. Uh, they do the uh, service dogs through prosthetics. And, and you probably need a referral from your primary care doctor and and keep at it because these I mean you know if the VA is going to pay for it then you know get it but don't be afraid of the cost and just figure it out you could call your local vet and say look I'm thinking about getting a Labrador and I'd like to know what the yearly costs are to keep Update it with shots and how much is flea and tick control per month and figure out how much food, you know, you can call support dogs and they'll say, well, they, they eat this much food a month. And they tell you exactly what kind of food to get and how much to feed them and how to feed them. Cinder has some stomach problems. They even gave me some digestive enzyme powders to sprinkle on her food. And so I do that every day. And when you leave support dogs, when I graduated, they give you everything you need. They give you toys for the dog. Uh, you get stainless steel bowls for food and water. They give you a food supply. They give you the Dremel to Dremel the dog's nail, toothbrush, toothpaste, your first flea and chip control, uh, brush comb. I mean, 
It's an unbelievable thing. And these dogs, before you can take them, you know, graduate, uh, they have to go through a public access test with you in a mall. Uh, and they, they put these dogs through their paces. They put food on the floor and the dog has to walk by the food and not pick it up. And, and, uh, you guys are also certified by, like, an international organization, aren't you? Service Dog? Yeah, Assistance Dog International. Um, we're accredited through them, so. Uh, right, and that that's also a requirement of the VA, that the dog you get, it has, you know, comes from a place that has that accreditation. So, uh, if that answered, I'm, I'm sure I gave you more information than you needed, Gerald. Uh, has the VA give you any trouble about uh, uh, taking uh, your dog in into the VA medical facility? Well, I haven't had to go to the VA medical facility yet. I I go to therapy at the Veterans Center, uh-huh. and uh, they're more than welcome. I'm actually the uh, second PTSD vet with a psychiatric service dog that goes to that vet center. And uh, so they're, you know, very open to it. Uh, my therapist was very supportive. And, you know, Bill, if I could just say one thing, and I know i got to let you go, but if you could just give me a minute, I think it will be worth it, is that, uh, you know, you know, I had to get, you know, well, I don't know. My psychiatrist had to fill out paperwork, and my psychologist had to fill out paperwork, and I had to fill out paperwork. And then I, you know, went in for an interview, and then they called me in for a second interview. And uh, what I discovered through that process was that uh, I had been so confined by my PTSD that trying to express how the dog would help me or how it would how I hoped to change it to change my life. I was unable to really express verbally. I my second interview Bill sat in on it and uh he asked me if I would uh think about some things and send him an email uh, you know, just sort of lining out, you know, the different things I'd said and anything else I thought about. And when I went home that day, I had to sort of like climb out of the box of PTSD and look at it from a different angle. And it was difficult to get to that place, but uh, but I did, and I'm so glad I did because, uh, you know, there were just things I, I, I mean, I just dismissed as, without even really thinking about it. Oh, well, you know, going back to the mall, that'll never happen, so just not going to think about it. So that's that's what I wanted to add, Bill. Okay, good. Uh, Bill, would you mind uh, giving out your your email or how people can contact you again? Uh, sure. And uh, also uh, make donations if they wish to donate to support dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Have you had very much luck uh, uh, securing grants? Uh, it seemed to me grant program would be a, 
certainly a way to go here. And the government does have a lot of grants. Uh, uh, possibly you could do something there. Yeah, we do. We do several grants. Um, we have a development person that actually does that. So um, we do do those. But uh, my personal email is B as in Bill, uh, D as in David, A H L K A M P at supportdogs plural dot o r g. So they can email me through that. Um, they can go to our website, which is supportdogs.org, or call the office at 314-997-2325. And I'll post that contact information on the forum under, uh, in the SVR forum so that anybody who's listening, if you didn't have time to get a pen, It'll be there for you, and uh, with links to their website and their donation site, phone numbers, and other contact information. Okay, uh, sure. Thank you. Another question, Bill. How long uh, after a a veteran uh, puts in an application uh, to the time uh, supposedly that? You know, they're going to be a veteran that you approve. Uh, how long does that process take normally? It depends. I, mean, I really can't say because we don't necessarily do an ordered list. Um, so, you know, we've had people like Teresa that have applied that had to wait two years. We've had people that have applied that have had to wait four months. Um, the best thing I can tell people is that if they're interested to apply and go through the application, process, get approved, and get on the list because if we have a dog that is perfect for somebody, uh, we're going to go ahead and make the placement no matter what the time frame. Oh, I see. Okay. That's mm -hmm. good. That's mm -hmm. good. Okay. Uh, John, uh, do you have any questions for Bill? Oh, John's offline. Oh, he went off. Okay, um, Bill, we we certainly appreciate you coming on the SVR broadcast, telling us about this program because it uh, most certainly is worthwhile and and uh, it could be of a great benefit to veterans, uh, especially veterans with PTSD. It's a shame that the VA don't have a program for uh, like this, but they don't, and uh, you, you're filling the gap and, and doing a fine job of it, it looks like. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Trace is very happy with, with Cinder. And, and, uh, but uh, we'd, we'd love to have you back on uh, uh, whenever we can uh, get you worked in again. Sure. And that... Uh, We'd like to support uh, uh, you guys as much as we possibly can because, you know, you, it's hard to find uh, proper programs out here for veterans yeah. uh, with, without a lot of uh, hoop draw, you know. And mm -hmm. and uh, it sounds like uh, you're, you're just what they need. So, 
and and we'll be keeping this broadcast in our archives uh, for some time and uh, forever, I hope. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, uh, we we certainly appreciate you coming on. Well, so I appreciate that, the opportunity. That's me, Gerald Cook, with the SVR broadcast, sponsored by the Hadit website. We'll be signing off for now.